0: Hi, everyone. Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Steve Weiss Music, percussion specialist since 1961. If you're looking for a rare piece of sheet music, a specialty gong, or anything percussion, Steve Weiss Music will have it. Please visit steveweissmusic.com or click their link in the show notes. That's S-T-E-V-E-W-E-I-S-S music.com, our percussion series sponsor.
1: Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella.
0: Welcome podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. We're really excited to have Colin Curry with us today. He's a percussionist who composer Steve Reich describes as one of the greatest musicians in the world today. He's performed as a soloist with the world's leading orchestras, including the London Philharmonic, New York Philharmonic, and the Cleveland Orchestra. In addition to being a soloist, he's the founder of the Colin Curry Group, the Colin Curry Quartet, and Colin Curry Records. We'll link to his site in the show notes so you can read more about him. A shout out to our mutual friend, Eddie Spillett, who helped us arrange the interview. Colin, it's great to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me along. Nice to catch up with you guys.
0: We usually start by having guests give us some biographical information. But since you've been everywhere recently, why don't you tell us what you've been up to this year?
2: Well, this was a real catch-up year. Um, Obviously, I care not to dwell on the the pandemic and the the very alarming cancellations and the kind of bulldozing of the diaries. I mean, everyone's everyone's had to endure that. But what it meant for me was that there were um, several premieres, waiting in a kind of holding pattern. And uh was very relieved when uh, my institutions, the people I was partnering with for these premieres, you know, stuck with me. And we, we got these shows on the road. So this year I had uh, four concerto premieres. Um, so it was a lot of notes and then uh, lots of other projects that had been put on hold as well. So it was uh, a very, <laughs> it, it went from kind of, wondering when I was going to, or even if I was going to perform next to all of a sudden having to dash around and the sooner we'd have finished one premiere, we have to jump on the next. So it was, it was an exciting time and I, I loved every second of
3: it. Colin, do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur?
2: <laughs> well, that's a funny one. Uh, I, cause I, obviously I <laughs> saw that originally, in, uh, and very, uh, prominently in the name of your podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I would have to say, no, I I don't, sort of uh, relates to um, particularly, I don't know what I am, I think is my short answer. Um, I mean, I see myself as someone who just really loves music and uh, these other kinds of, um, I don't know if they're labels, that sounds perhaps a little derogatory. It's obviously not meant in that way, but these other kinds of defining... Um, credentials. I, I'm never very sure what to make of them. Um, but I, I personally, it's not, it's not something that I would um, immediately leap out of my chair and say, yes, that is definitely what I am. But mm-hmm. perhaps there's elements of entrepreneurship to what I do. Yeah, sure. I would say.
0: Yeah. And we'll get into that, I think, as we, yeah, as we unpack it. One of our goals for the podcast is to help younger arts entrepreneurs learn from our guests. So I have a few questions for you, since you travel around the world and cross borders all the time. Who looks after your instrument carnets, so when you're traveling, all, all those borders? Does your bookkeeper cringe every time you come back with a bunch of receipts in different currencies?
2: Well, I have, from a very early um, stage of my career, tried to keep this as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've only ever traveled with the big stuff once, which mm-hmm. was, of all the places to go, was for a recital in the Lebanon so, if, if you are going to go away with three tons of equipment, make sure it's to Beirut, is all I'm yeah, going to say.
0: that's right.
2: Um, otherwise, I have fantastic partnerships, especially with, if I may say, Marimba One, mm-hmm. Ron Samuels and his team, um, absolutely sensational on getting me these high-quality mallet instruments, which is really what I rely on. Mm-hmm. And things have changed so much. I mean, I remember the first time I came to the, to the States for my debut Uh, at the Cabrillo Festival when I was still a teenager in 1996. Uh, I mean, sourcing a five-octave marimba was a real challenge, and that was in California, and Hmm. that's even where Marimba One is based. Hmm. So, But that's kind of amusing now to think of it being tricky to find a five-octave marimba because they grow on trees, uh, these days. And, um, literally it's been a big change. Exactly. (laughs) For every, for every room I made, there's one planted, I hope. Um, and, um, I travel, you know, my, my suitcases go in the hold. I mean, the very specific things that I travel with my symbols and the smaller auxiliary percussion, it just goes, it just goes down below. And so far we, I've gotten away with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you don't have to, deal with anything any transports just things that you can pack take with you yeah
2: i mean yeah. unless unless perhaps with, with the the new ventures of the, the quartet and the group if we were popping over from the uk to the netherlands for example we we may go in in the in the trucks but mm-hmm. you know brexit our our famous mm-hmm. self-inflicted um wound is not making these things any easier but uh we're, we're trying to find our way
0: yeah Okay. And then, so just before, I know Andy has a, a follow-up question, uh, you know, do you, who does your accounting? Do you do that or do you have someone else who does that?
2: Well, again, I, I'm I'm very blessed. I've got a, a team of people mm-hmm. at, at my agency, Intermusica, uh, general management of Intermusica based mm-hmm. in London, and my North American agent, Opus 3. Mm-hmm. Um, they... I and mean, they do so much behind the scenes yeah and free me up to do what the job is which is practice <laughs> yeah That's and uh, so the the bookkeeping i i stay away away from and yeah. i have an accountant that i use i do quarterly accounts mm-hmm. um and i keep my nose clean and no one's come knocking at the door yet <laughs> it's
3: great <laughs> Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. Um, you know, performing is just a, a, a small fraction of of what what you actually do. So, what? How do you uh, spend your time when you're not uh, on stage performing?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's the reality of 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 someone who has a lot of notes. I mean, this year with these four concertos, so it was Danny Elfman, Bruno Mantovani, Nicole Lise uh Luke Bedford and I was also playing uh, one of my um bucket list concertos which not one of mine uh but one I never played which is uh, by Philippe Hurel French composer this piece quatre variations and in the same year I decided it would be a great idea that this would be the year in which I would learn and perform Zaffa for the first time yeah, okay. um and then you know many many weeks of being away touring and when you're on the when you're on the tour no practice yeah I mean, so you you have to come so well-prepared because basically your playing is in a slow decline as as the tour unfolds. So you have to make sure that there's enough in the tank that when you're at the end of the tour, you're still playing fantastically well. So when I'm not touring, I'm in my practice room and it's rolling the sleeves up, clocking in, metronome on, nice and slow, and just learning notes and... Getting it, getting the things off the pages, grinding it out. As I mentioned in the intro, our, our friend uh,
0: eighty is is one of the members in your ensemble. Can you describe the audition process when you're looking for collaborators and ensemble members?
2: Yeah, well, I, this is one of the things that, um, again, I, I've been absolutely blessed with. Is this fantastic uh, generation of percussionists in the UK that surround me? It just typically just a fractionally younger than me, and this includes A.D. Spillett, your your good friend, Um, Sam Walton, who is my longest-standing percussion friend. We've known each other since we were in our early teens, Uh, and Owen Gunnell, and that's that's the members of my quartet. And that's also the core of my group. And the other percussionists that I've brought in have been through the the camaraderie and uh you know really fantastic fraternal spirit um when I used to live in London I would have a chance to meet many many students coming through the ranks of all the different music schools and of course I'm associated with Royal Academy of Music so sometimes I've brought in students from there but they've been from other music schools as well two of our main um additional uh, percussionists George Barton and Catherine Ring they actually both studied at Guildhall and uh I didn't teach either of them, but they just came onto my radar. And there's no audition process. I'm just looking for people who are good people. That's re really numero uno. And people who can come prepared and, you know, have a sense of humor about things and, you know, keep, keep their head when the flights are canceled and the rehearsals get canned and, and you know, just, just have a good spirit about a nice approach to the whole thing team spirit um so no audition as such but just if you're a good egg word gets out there and I'm, I'm interested in that
0: yeah so that first attracts you and then i guess you just hear them play or maybe you play together
2: yeah i would invite someone in i mean typically in my group there's that that kind of ninth player in drumming and uh the role for that one is is relatively small i mean a little little pattern at the end of part two and nice little pattern in part four and that's been the way in for quite a few players in my group and you know next time maybe one or two other people won't be available and they get a chance to step up and yeah. um yeah before they know it's the playing the concerto with the group at the Edinburgh Festival <laughs> That's
0: great,
2: <laughs> you know so it's it's a it's a democratic thing and and I'm again I'm very very lucky with the, the young players that come through and uh have had some fantastic uh mentorship and relationships formed. Yeah. yeah.
3: So thinking back to when you were finishing your studies at the Royal Academy uh, of Music, what career paths were you thinking about and how did you navigate that?
2: Yeah, that's, that is perhaps quite a good question for this podcast. Um, I mean, I honestly went to London to train as an orchestral player. Um, this was in the nineties. And solo playing was, although it's so recently, um, the really explosion of, of activity and creativity and the repertoire of chamber music, as well as the solo repertoire still, it's still just slightly on the horizon. Mm. And um, I think as a percussionist, I mean, also your, your possibilities, you know, how you, how are you going to spend your time upon leaving yeah. music college? The answer, the short answer was, well, it, the, the top of the pile would be to aim for an orchestral position. Sure. And since I was very comfortable with that and also have a deep love of the orchestra, which remains with me to this day, I mean, my, my goals were to come to London and to, you know, to one day get a call from London Symphony Orchestra or so, something like this, you know, a fairly typical dream for a, a naive youngster sure. coming to London. Um, and the solo, um, a scenario. The solo scenario took, took place only very gradually, one gig at a time. And I'm actually very grateful for that. There was never any pressure. I hadn't set my sights too high. And um, that, again, suited me just fine. So it took me several years to sort of get myself on track and up to speed. And it, it was many years before I finally severed ties with uh, a joint career as a freelance orchestral player. And a, a young soloist
3: mm-hmm. well, I'm also thinking so ne- sort of it, you said it took several years to kind of find your uh, i don't know find your path as a solo artist. What were some of the things you were exploring in that? was it just was it was it just your chops or was it also you know finding the right repertoire, the right venues, the right whatever you know all those different things kind of coming together
2: Yeah, it was always repertoire and opportunity based for me. Um, So at that time, I was doing some concerto work, or not a whole lot, Um, but there were some early premieres that came along for me. Um, For example, Concerto Rapture by Michael Torkey. Um, I premiered that in, I think what we're allowed to refer to as the early noughties. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and that was a breakthrough piece for me in its way. Um, And... So there the was the occasional concerto and then the beginning of these premieres. Okay. Um, and the other projects I had at that time was my percussion duo okay. because there was some great repertoire. and I was very much enthralled by this Danish, this, the Safri duo who were oh, right. a huge influence. Their approach to the instruments, the mallet instruments in particular, was of enormous influence to me. This huge sound they made and the way they threw themselves... Uh, into their performances, where it was a massive inspiration on me. Mm-hmm. And because Sam um, was two years beneath me at Royal Academy, we had an ideal opportunity to get some of these pieces together. And, and we, we were some of the first percussionists outside the Safi duo to play a lot of the Safi repertoire. Okay. And so we had great fun with that for a time as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great duo. <clears throat> Yeah, they were really good and they were also really kind. I um, recall some somewhere in the dim and distant past is a memory of going to hear them perform at the Queen Elizabeth Hall, and Evelyn Glennie was there as well. And mm. we all ended up in Chinatown having a having a Chinese meal <laughs> yeah. afterwards. And um, they were just really nice. I mean, I was definitely the new kid on the block, if yeah. that. Maybe not even, but they were. They invited me out, and Evelyn sat there, and we had this lovely evening. But they were they were really supportive, good dudes, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love hearing stories like that. Just being approachable, good human beings. And now look, yeah. you know, 10, 20 years later. <clears throat> so, all right, this next question will be interesting to see how you're answered because you don't see yourself as Colin Curry Incorporated. You don't see yourself as an entrepreneur, but I'm sure you have a lot of information, right? To give to your students. So in addition to your busy performing schedule, you're active as a teacher. Do you spend any time on the business side of the music industry or any time speaking about the business side of the music industry with your students? And and if so, what do you tell them, uh, especially those who are about to embark on a performing career, not necessarily an orchestral career, but solo or chamber music career? What do you tell them?
2: Mm, That's a very good question. and It's a very thought provoking question to me particularly. Um, I feel that maybe I'm perhaps a little remiss in this area um, I have kind of uh, rather blithely just gone from concert to concert, and all I've ever really done is focus on my short-term goals. And I'm afraid that's about the, the that's about the uh, the limit of my advice to my youngsters or anyone I meet who, who comes. And because <clears throat> music business is is very tough. It's very fickle. And you, as well as being, um, as well as having to be very, very together as a person and very well organized, and you, know, to be, you have to be a fine player uh, in this day and age to, to get any any kind of visibility. You, you need a healthy dose of good luck, <laughs> and that's where Lady Luck. You know that that can that can be a harsh one. But what I do tell people is that there's always room at the top, and I think. If, if you have something genuinely uh, special to offer, that, that gets you in. So I think that's the, the optimistic side is, is there, there is always that room actually at the very top of the profession. And um, that's perhaps something good to aim for.
0: Yeah. And do you think it's not top of mind because now you have management? I mean, you know, thinking back to when you first started, when you didn't have management, you were doing everything soup to nuts, I would imagine scheduling concerts and
2: yeah and i think i think maybe what i was a little bit uh careful with to, and, and i tried to get it right and i'm sure i didn't always get it right but is when an opportunity comes your way you make the most of it you know if you do get a break i got a very early break for example uh getting to meet american conductor david robertson um again when i was still a teenager very very early days and I played one concert with him as a soloist. Um, and uh, I decided I really wanted to somehow stay in touch with him. And of course, this is long before the internet. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I wrote him a letter. Right. I, 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 I penned him a letter and I addressed it to the ensemble and in Paris. And I didn't know whether he would even get the letter or not. But a few months later, I had a lovely reply from him and he wrote to me at my house <laughs> and, uh, it was done in that way so i think you know the thing is you can't be you can't be seen to be pushy um because that's perhaps worst of all but i think you, if if you make a genuine connection with someone who shows interest in your work and you like the way they work and would like to know more then you you do what you can to to stay in touch and uh, and and kind of foster an appropriate level of of interaction
3: You know, something else you said is focusing on the short term goals. I think, you know, I think that's, I think we probably put a lot of emphasis on like, well, what's your career plan? What's your long term? You know, where do you want to be in 10 or 15? But to your point, like, what else can you do, right? Other than focus on the opportunities that are in front of you, make the most of those. And if, you know, if those go well, if those are successful, then there's new opportunities that will emerge beyond that, right?
2: Yeah, you're putting the train tracks down in front of you as the train goes along, and I, I think you know it's it's not an ideal way to live, but it, it is. You're kind of forced into that, um, essentially. I mean, I, I'm I'm sitting here, and, um, and I'm, I'm a freelance musician. I mean, I, I I do get some fantastic opportunities, but we talk about things like a, a to a student about a five-year career plan, but. I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, right. in five years from now, I have absolutely, absolutely. no idea.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I scarcely know about the full details of, of next year right. and, and we're in the closing, closing days of this year. Right. So right. it's, it, um, you got to be quick witted. You, you, you got to, you got to be, a, you got to learn to say yes. And, um, but those short term goals, they're, they're the ones to nail. Just get that next gig sounding amazing. Right. And, And the rest will take care of itself. Thanks for
1: listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast.